Lord, it's pretty amazing uh, when we stop and think about our real, real spiritual condition apart from you and in you. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us that we were all far away. We were all separate from you. We were excluded from all of the gifts and privileges that you made available to us in Christ. And then that we who were far away were brought near in Christ. It is with awe and wonder and worship that we place ourselves before you as your people. Overcome with gratitude and our hearts wide open to how it is, Lord, that you would want to teach us and woo us and invite us to a yet more intimate and deeper place. So, Lord, as we open your word, we open our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Well, every Sunday for the past six months, you have heard us at some point in the service, reiterate the calling that we felt like God put on our hearts to hold before us as a church family during this COVID season, however long it goes. Stay anchored to God, stay connected to God's people, and stay faithful to God's call to live out a life of love. Well, for the next couple of Sundays, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to take some time to come back and revisit that expression of, of God's invitation to us. This morning, I'm going to be walking through and looking at some of the biblical moorings and foundations for each of those three ideas. And then next Sunday, we're going to really get practical and specific. We're going to talk about some really specific steps that we want to invite you into or invite you to continue with. And we're going to be talking to you about we, how we are prepared to help you take those steps. So before we walk through those three invitations, I just want to respond to a comment that I heard someone made in the last couple of weeks uh, about those three statements of calling. And it was actually a very thoughtful comment, and I thought it might be worth our just pausing with just for a moment. What that person said was that it seemed like maybe these three statements that all begin with the word stay might be too passive, unmotivating, uninspiring. Okay, covenant family, let's stay. No, I mean, do you expect the word let's go to be at the end of that sentence? But, but actually, simply staying, just holding your ground and not slipping backwards is held up in Scripture on a regular basis as a really crucial spiritual virtue especially when we find ourselves as a people of God facing challenges. So think about Jesus' comments to his followers during the last week of his life when he was talking to them about the incredible difficulties that would come upon us during this season between his first coming and his second coming. And this is what he says, anticipating the kinds of challenges and hardships that we would face, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 13, whoever endures... Whoever perseveres, whoever stays strong, whoever holds out to the end will be saved. In the conversations that I have been so blessed to have with so many of you during these past two weeks, 
Some of you have shared with me what an incredibly rich time spiritually this COVID season has been for you. But many more of you have been honest in describing what a challenging time this has been for you and how hard it's been just to, to stay, just to hold your ground spiritually. Between all of the COVID restrictions and forced isolation and screen fatigue, it has been surprisingly easy, I think, for all of us at some level to drift. To drift into isolation and disconnection with our brothers and sisters in Christ. To drift into unhealthy or even destructive patterns like, like binge Netflix watching or pornography. To drift out of important spiritual habits like daily devotional time, Scripture reading, faithful Sunday morning worship gets harder and harder. To drift into separation and disengagement from the people who live around us, our neighbors, retreating into our homes, and to, to drift away from a posture of vibrant faith, to, to succumb more to fear and anxiety and, and to trying to get things under our control. So like Dorothy and company in the enchanted poppy fields or like Bilbo and company in the, the dark and dreadful forest, COVID, between its repeated cautions and its forced separations, has become sort of a, a region in time in which some of us are being lulled to sleep. And, and this is a time maybe when we need to rouse ourselves. The fact is that there is a lot that conspires against our staying strong in our faith, our staying anchored to God, our staying connected to God's people, and our staying faithful that God's called to live out a life of love. Sometimes just staying our ground requires all the strength and all the faith we have. Which brings us to this loaf of bread that is in front of me here this morning. This should look familiar to you. I hope that it does to most of you. If you're part of the Covenant family and live in the area, uh, with the visits that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, giving you a loaf of bread, that looks a whole lot like this one. So this morning, I would like to use this loaf of bread as a lens through which to look at these three COVID callings. Okay, so granted, bread doesn't really make a great window to look through, no matter how you slice it. Sorry, did that rub against the grain? All right, enough of the, these stale jokes. All right, when you think of Jesus and bread, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? I'm guessing for many of you as followers of Christ, it's the line from the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. From cover to cover, the Bible teaches us that God is gracious to open his hand and supply the needs of every living thing. And we are urged to ask him to do so. Give us today, God, our daily bread. I'm convinced that in that prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus asks us to pray for daily bread, that that bread is really meant to represent everything that we need to survive as human beings. Food, water, air, shelter, and sleep. But where for Jesus our expression of dependence upon God is meant to be a starting point, for whatever reason, for many of us, that actually ends up being the, the point we never move past. Their relationship with God never gets past the God is in this for me. He's there to meet my needs level of faith. 
We all have, I mean, you know this, we all have the propensity as human beings to think of ourselves as kind of occupying the center seat in existence. Well, when that's how we view life with ourselves at the center, well then, getting our needs met becomes the goal of life, and seeing that our needs met becomes God's main job description. But that leads to really a pretty thin and insubstantial view of the Christian life, sort of a wonder bread experience of Christianity. But there's more that God has for us that we're going to be exploring this morning and reminding one another of. There is a hearty, appetizing, whole-grained version of the Christian life that God offers to us. And each of these three invitations we're going to be talking about are ways that we believe that God is calling us into something richer and deeper and more satisfying than merely viewing God as a sort of uh, spiritual grocery store where we can get supplied with the things that we need to live. So let's shift from focusing on this bread as a symbol of the daily bread that God promises to provide for us. And let's use this, this image as a way of opening up three other really important dimensions of a deepening Christian life. Feasting on the bread of life, breaking bread with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and loafing around with our neighbors. So first, stay anchored to God. Feast on the bread of life. Well, this first invitation takes us into one of the most mysterious things that Jesus ever said during his three years of ministry on earth. You can find this teaching in John chapter 6. It's where Jesus describes himself as the bread of life, and he tells his listening crowd, that they are to feast on him, on his flesh and blood. But part of what is really interesting about these things that Jesus is saying is the timing of them. What we read in John chapter 6 is that the, that the crowd that has gathered around Jesus to hear these words is made up mostly of men and women who were there the day before when Jesus fed the 5,000 bread in a miraculous feast. So Jesus begins his comments by telling them that God has something more for them than just the bread that they need to get by each day. John 6, 26, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. They're looking to Jesus to be their bread supplier, their physical need meter, just like you and I can fall into at times, especially in a stressful and challenging time. But Jesus says that there is something more that he has for them. Picking up in verse 33, he says, the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Well, sir, give us this bread, they say. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then a little bit later in this, this sermon, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So Jesus responds 
to their physical hunger by awakening, by awakening their spiritual hunger. In essence, this is what he says. What if there were bread that could satisfy not just the ache of your physical hunger pangs, but that much deeper ache, that deepest hunger you know, the hunger of your soul? And what if that bread satisfied that deep longing? Not in a fleeting, come-and-go sort of way, but once and for all. And what if that bread offered life that transcended our days on earth and stretched into eternity? And what if that bread were a person? And what if that person's body would be broken like a common loaf of bread and offered up to feed the starving souls of humanity? And what if that person were me? I still remember painfully the moment that I was driving in Ireland and the car that I was driving began to become sluggish and then to misfire and finally to start to rattle and then to shake as if it was about to come apart. The car had a diesel engine and I had filled it with regular gasoline. By the time I limped into the shop, I had caused over $2,000 of damage to the engine. I wonder what sort of fuel you are trying to run your soul on. God made every single human soul to run on himself, on Jesus. And everything else we try to fill ourselves with will fail us. Not only will fail us, but will hurt us and ultimately cost us our lives. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. I love this line from Augustine in his book, The Confessions. Food that is never diminished by famished eating, that is what I love when I love my God. Have you eaten this bread? Have you opened your life to him? Have you received him? John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, believing in his name. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. So the Christian life begins when we sit ourselves down before Jesus recognize him as the, as the only thing that can ever satisfy our deepest hunger, open ourselves up fully to him, and swallow him whole. Not picking and choosing this wise little bit of his teaching here or that lovely little parable of his there. Jesus by nibbles and bites, but the whole of him and the whole of us given in return. Consuming Jesus and being consumed by Jesus. That is what God intends the Christian life would be about. So this mysterious idea that lies behind these words, that God gives us not just his gifts, but himself, and invites us to give ourselves to him in return, that is at the heart 
of any faithful understanding of real spiritual intimacy. Worship is the spiritual practice that best deepens our intimacy with God and leads to the experience of our soul hunger really being satisfied. One way that we do that is in our daily worship as we bring our hunger to him each day and ask him to satisfy, it, uh, satisfy that hunger. I've been thinking about how um, unsatisfying is the term quiet time. I think it's really misleading and unfortunate to describe a time that we have with God each day. Because we aren't just trying to find a moment of quiet to read a bit of scripture and kind of gather ourselves together before the day begins. I'm drawn much more to the far older term devotions. We are coming before Jesus each day in order to express our devotion to him and to feast on him anew. The other way that we do this is in our weekly worship. As we come together as the people of God, whether online or in person, and we give him the glory and the honor that is his due. You know, contrary, and Brentley alluded to this, contrary to what many of us have, have kind of drifted into as an experience of worship during this COVID season, worship isn't something we watch. It isn't even something that we take part in. Worship is something we give we give our worship, our praise, our devotion, our allegiance, ourselves to God. Jesus is lavish in his love toward us. And he is lavish in the gifts that he gives to us. But when Jesus calls himself the bread of life, he is reminding us of the remarkable truth that the gift that he is most eager to give us is the gift of himself. On one of my visits this week, I met with an older single woman who has just gone through a really difficult move and finds herself in a place that is really not to her liking. And as she talked about it, her face became really downcast and sad. And then I asked her how she was experiencing God in the middle of all of this. She threw back her head, she threw out her arms, her face lit up with a smile, and she said, Jesus is right here with me. God calls us during this COVID season to stay anchored to God. By feasting on the bread of life, how is your feasting going? Well, the second invitation is to stay connected to God's people, or using our bread analogy, breaking bread with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The night before he died, Jesus promised that he would give his disciples a gift, a precious and powerful gift that would be for each of them a source of great strength and comfort and encouragement. I bet you think I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, but I'm not. I'm talking about the church. Fellow followers of Jesus, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, knit together as one, whose unity with one another and whose love for one another is meant to set us apart in this world and to prove to the world that we are in fact his. One of the most interesting and important moments that happens in the life of someone who becomes a follower of Christ is the moment when we realize that there is not only a new person on the throne in front of us, but there are new people in the seats beside us as well. And they are put there as gifts. After the Father gives us his Son, he keeps right on giving. He gives you me, and he gives me you. He gives us each other. The shared life of the early church is described in a 
in a very familiar passage in Acts chapter 2, a section of scripture that in, inevitably we turn to when we want to see a picture of the church at its healthiest. Listen to these descriptions of the church's shared life. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And in verses 46 and 47, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. It actually literally says from house to house. Maybe that's the origin of the progressive meal. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. So you probably heard in the middle of both those passages this expression, breaking bread. It refers to sharing a meal with, spending time with friends. There are several places in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, where that expression, breaking bread, is used. The expression comes from two cultural details. First, their bread was round and flat, so it didn't make sense to try to cut it with a knife. It was something that appropriately would be torn or broken in two. But the much more important cultural insight that makes this term so rich is that when a meal was served, the host would stand up at the head of the table and pick up the bread, bless it, break it into pieces, and then hand the individual portions to each of the people at the table, especially to those who were seated in the place of honor right next to himself, giving them the largest and the best pieces. So this idea of breaking bread together was an intimate and deeply personal picture it came to express the idea of a deep enjoyment of one another's company, of close connection, of the joy and the gift of life shared together. American society trains up and raises up soloists. Many of you from, are from other cultures and you may have experienced something really different, but for those of us who are native to the United States, we have a very, very self-at-the-center view of one another. I operate independently of you until I feel it expedient to move towards you in order to meet some need of mine, and then off I go independent again on my own. But you cannot be a vibrant and faithful and growing follower of Christ and be a soloist as this whole COVID thing is making clear to us. That's one of the themes that I've heard most often over the past few weeks. I need the people in my group. Man, I need the guys in my conqueror study. I need my Bible study women. God calls us during this, these COVID days to stay connected to God's people by breaking bread together, whether online or in person, spending time with one another. You need them. They need you. We need each other. So how are you doing staying connected to God's people during this COVID crisis? So here's the last invitation. Stay faithful to God's call to live a life of love. Loaf around with your neighbors. So one of the richest traditions of biblical culture that has really been lost in our day is the tradition of hospitality to strangers. The understood goal of hospitality was to extend a welcome to a stranger in such a way that he or she began as a stranger, maybe even as an enemy, but ended up as a friend. Listen to these 
proverbs that come from different regions in the Middle East. He who shares my bread and salt is not my enemy. If someone throws a stone at you, throw bread at him. To break bread with one's enemy is the fastest way to find common ground. If hospitality was a common value for all of the Middle East and remains so still today, it was especially seen as a, as a telltale virtue of God's people. And we're reminded why in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. You also shall love the stranger, for you were strangers once in the land of Egypt. Now, thanks to creepy Hollywood movies and troubling news headlines, for us, the word stranger drips with all sorts of negative connotations. But back then, the word referred not to someone who was unsafe, but simply to someone who was unknown, who was, wasn't part of the group of people that you were familiar with. According to Deuteronomy 10, God's people know well what it's like not to have a place, not to fit in, but to be treated instead as outsiders. And because we know the discomfort of that and the pain of that, God says we should go out of our way to reach out to the person who doesn't fit in, whether because of skin color or beliefs or income level or whatever, and to make a place for them in our lives. The, the quintessential story of hospitality in the scriptures is when Abram and Sarai are visited by three strangers who turn out to be angels. Abram runs into the tent and says to Sarai, quick, bake some bread. And then he dashes around behind the tent and grabs a fatted calf and together they make a feast for their guests. The writer of Hebrews clearly has uh, both of the passage from Deuteronomy and the story of Abram and Sarai in mind when he writes this, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without know knowing it. So what do you think of when you think of the word hospitality? Well, I think, unfortunately, for many of us, the, the image that comes to mind is of last-minute fra frantic vacuuming to make the house look as immaculate as we possibly can so that we can serve our our guests the perfect meal in the perfect setting and we can be on our perfect behavior. But the biblical idea of hospitality is built on a really different picture. In fact, the, the expression show hospitality actually just says show love to strangers. Quoting Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 19. It's one of eight different terms for hospitality in the New Testament, most of which are built around this word xenos, this word for strangers. These are some of the different words in the New Testament for hospitality. Love the stranger, receive the stranger, be kindly minded toward the stranger, gathering in the stranger, or simply just to stranger is a verb that means to extend hospitality. So biblically, hospitality includes anything that you do that might help transform a person from unknown to known, from stranger to friend. About three months into COVID, my dear friend Danny Sharp and his wife became aware of how they had drifted into a life that was really centered on themselves and defined by their own needs and their own schedule, their own desires, their own concerns. So feeling prompted by God to turn their lives more outwards they contacted a couple of their neighbors and they suggested that, they, that each of them just grab a folding chair and meet them at the end of their driveway every night at six o'clock to hang out for an hour and connect. The first night, three neighbors joined them. The next week, a couple of others straggled in. Six weeks later, about 25 people were gathering together every night for an hour at the end of their driveway. 
it soon became the thing that everybody in the neighborhood didn't want to miss, and they scheduled their lives around. And now there aren't any strangers living around them anymore. All they have living around them are friends. And it just took a little bit of courage and initiative on their part. We began with a mysterious passage about Jesus as bread. I want to end with another mysterious passage about Jesus as stranger. During the last days of his ministry, Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats, in which he talks about the importance of of a life lived outward toward others, responsive to their needs. And, And when we reach out to others, when we notice them, when we honor them, when we welcome them in, Jesus says it's as though we do that to him. Matthew 25, 35, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Who are the strangers in your world? Many of us, having spent so much time tucked away in our homes over the past six months, are discovering that actually some of the the most unknown people to us are our own next-door neighbors, the people in front of us and behind us and either side of us. As this COVID season continues, we believe as a church that God is calling us to place a particular emphasis on loving and pursuing and receiving our literal next-door neighbors. It may be dashing into your kitchen and throwing together a meal in response to the need of a neighbor, but it may be something as simple as just taking time to stop and to listen. A couple of months ago, I ran into a neighbor that I hadn't seen for a while. I was heading out for a walk, and I ran into her as she was bringing in her trash cans. I asked her how she was, and she said, okay, in a way that meant, not okay. Now, this is a really strong and very self-reliant woman. And this is actually, in the years that we have had a relationship with her, that was probably the most vulnerable she has ever been with us. And by the grace of God, rather than going off on my walk, have a nice evening, I heard the, the hint behind her word, and I just stopped. And I said, tell me what's going on. We ended up talking for the next half hour as she shared some incredibly challenging circumstances that she and her husband find themselves in right now. As the conversation went on, she talked about how she was really coming to the end of herself, which led so naturally to beginning to talk about spiritual resources. And we began to have a conversation about God, and I told her that I would pray for her, and she said how much that would mean to her. And I said, Standing at the end of her driveway with us about 15 feet apart, I said, could I just pray for you right now? So there I stood on the street in our neighborhood and had the incredible privilege of being able to pray for her. In poorer cultures, the most precious gift that we can give a stranger may be our money. But in a richer culture like our own, in which time equals money, the most precious thing that we can give our neighbors is likely our time. That's why stretching the bread theme just a little bit, we are encouraging you to find time to just loaf with your neighbors. God calls us during these COVID days to stay faithful to his call to live out a life of love. How are you finding ways to look past yourself and to see the stranger in your midst? So how's God been speaking to you this morning? At the end of the service, I would encourage you to just take a moment before you head on into the next thing 
is just maybe turn to the person next to you and just use a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle to say how you're actually doing spiritually these days. And then maybe just share with one another what's the way you felt God stirring in you in response to the sermon this morning. And then pray for each other. I'm going to pray for you now and then our worship team is going to come up and lead us in our closing song. Actually, Lord, I just invite you to use this, these couple of moments to allow us to have our own conversation with you in response to what you've been saying to us this morning.